Hey listeners, it's KJ here asking for a favor. Have you reviewed hashtag amwriting in your pod player yet? Would you? I know, you're driving or running or cooking or whatever you do while listening and we are there for that. But if you love us and could take a minute to hit that five star button and toss in a comment, we'd appreciate it. Oh, and if you don't love us, carry on with what you're doing. In fact, we hear the review button isn't working right now. Don't check. Hey, I'm writing listeners, Jess Leahy coming to you from somewhere in the middle of Indiana. I've been on the road this week uh, talking to students and teachers and parents and communities about all kinds of stuff, gift of failure stuff, addiction inoculation stuff. But one of my very favorite things to do when I'm on the road is speak to student writers. And I had the chance to do that this week at a school in Indiana. And when I sat down with them and they started asking me questions, I realized, you know, our job here at the Yam Writing Podcast is to flatten the learning curve for all writers. Um, but some of these young writers have really, really steep learning curves. And some of those things include, you know, what's a nut graph and what's it like working for and working with an editor? And how do you know if the quote you're getting from a source is actually true? What if they're lying to you? So anyway, it was a great opportunity for me to recommend the book um, Chasing the Truth, A Young Journalist's Guide to Investigative Reporting by Jody Cantor and Megan Tui. And their names may sound familiar to you, maybe because, oh, I don't know, they won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking the Weinstein story a couple, about a couple of years ago. And last year, we interviewed Megan. I'm sorry, last year we interviewed uh, Jody Cantor about writing the book She Said and writing the book Chasing the Truth and uh, about the Weinstein story in, in general. And I think the book Chasing the Truth is a book I recommend more than any other book to student journalists and to their teachers because it's an incredible guide to not just what it means to be a journalist and what it means to break a story as big as the Weinstein story, but it's also the book I wish I had had as a student journalist. It has uh, a guide in the back to terms like nut graph and stet and things like that. Things that some of us have to learn under fire because we never got a chance to learn them in a really good student journalism class or by reading a book like Chasing the Truth. So, um, that's also an explanation for why my voice sounds the way it does. This is what happens when you spend uh, a couple of weeks running around the country talking to um, audiences and especially to kids like I got the chance to talk to this week. So I hope you enjoy the repost um, this Flashback Friday for our interview with Jody Cantor on Chasing the Truth, a young journalist's guide to investigative reporting. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Hey, welcome to the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. This is the podcast about writing all the things, long things, short things, uh, proposals, queries, articles, novels. But today, our focus is going to be on writing books and investigative journalism because we have a guest today. I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and The Addiction Inoculation. And you can find my work variously at The New York Times and The Atlantic and The Washington Post. 
And I am beyond honored to have um, our guest on today, uh, my friend Jody Cantor. Jody is an investigative journalism at the journalist, excuse me, at the New York Times. You probably have heard of her because of her um, breaking open the Weinstein case with her partner, Megan Tui. I know her because she is also the wife of my friend Ron Lieber. And Ron and I uh, were writing our books, The Gift of Failure, and um, and his book about the called The Opposite of Spoiled, about kids and money at the same time. And we got to lament about that process together. And we have the same editor. And I met Jody through Ron. Jody, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your work. I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm so happy you're here. Um, so I guess we met when we met before your book, She Said, which is about the Weinstein investigation came out. And I was lucky enough to get the chance to talk to you sort of in between your book, She Said, came out and the formation of the thing I'd really love to focus on today, which is a version of She Said. It's not even a version of She Said. It's a whole new book for young journalists, which, you know, the young journalist in me read this book thinking, oh my gosh, where was this book when I was in high school at, and editor-in-chief of my school paper? Because this book is so incredibly amazing. Um, and because I want to focus on that book, I'm not going to spend too much time on um, She Said, but it's been a really crazy couple of years for you. You have a Pulitzer Prize. You have, there's a movie coming out. When When is that happening? The movie is coming out in November. Oh. So exciting. Um, and we uh, we can talk about that a little. But so as she said, came out, was there any indication at that point that was it a two book deal? Was there any indication at that point that you were going to do a young adult version of she said and the no. investigation into Harvey Weinstein? No, not not at all. What happened is that Megan and I wanted to write she said. Mm hmm. Because we felt that we had been present at something that belonged to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. A Weinstein investigation turned out to have such massive consequences, and it stood for so many things in terms of feminism, but also in terms of truth and standing up to a bully and the role of an independent press. And, you know, in sort of like in late 2017, after we broke the story, you know, we would be invited to do a TV interview or whatever. But it wasn't an opportunity to tell the real story. And it wasn't an opportunity to tell it on our terms. I think we realized that we had to be the narrators. You know, this, yeah. this thing that had happened was going to be gobbled up into a million different pieces by a diff million different outsiders, many of whom had never been part of the original events. And also we were very close with um, Weinstein's victims and... Um, we wanted their stories to be represented correctly and for the world to understand the impact that even a small number of truth tellers can have, because it was a very small number of women who came forward about Weinstein initially. And we wanted to take people behind the scenes of a major investigation. You know, how do, how do you unearth secrets? How do you make people feel safe with you? How do you confront, you know, somebody really powerful and, is it scary or can you actually take joy in it? You know, and what's the practice, the craft behind all of that? So we put together, she said, and then when she said came out, um, our agent, Elise Cheney, was um, smart enough to say, you know, I think there should be a junior edition. And we talked about what it should be. 
there were a couple of ideas floating around, you know, should it be a book, should it be a book about consent? You know, should it be a book about sexual harassment and, and rape and, you know, sort of like a teaching tool on that. And we actually decided, no, we decided we, you know, we want to call this chasing the truth and we want it to be for two groups of people, a young journalists, you know, and, or anybody who might consider going into journalism because journalism can be very intimidating for young people. I mean, you know, I didn't know any authors growing up. I didn't know any reporters growing up and we wanted to give people a path um, into the field, but we also wanted it to be for really any young person who is struggling with how bad things are. You know, there's this, the news is just so weighty. Kids are growing up in unimaginable circumstances sort of no you know no matter who you are even if you're living a, a privileged and stable existence those kids have been through a pandemic too those kids are conf confronting climate change too it's really collective on everybody's part and and we we wanted to help them understand that they can grow up to do work of meaning and that journalism is a craft for grappling with some of this darkness and doing so not as an activist, really being fact-based, fact but that we wanted to explain to them a kind of paradox that I think even many adults don't understand, which is that by sticking to the facts, you can sometimes have more success than an activist can have, that by having being totally independent and having the truth as your only guide and being fair to everybody, you can actually build the kind of platform on which change can occur. You start in exactly the right place with Chasing the Truth. I tried to read Chasing the Truth from the perspective of a teenager as the teenager I was trying to figure out, because actually one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done as a writer happened when I was a teenage journalist. I was lucky enough to get an interview with Barney Frank um, when he came to speak at my school in Massachusetts, and I was completely unprepared. I just sort of thought I could wing it. Mm -hmm. I just sort of thought, you know, it would be fine. And I, it was embarrassing. It was completely embarrassing. And so as I read Chasing the Truth, a bunch of things came to mind because the place that you start is the place that so many kids start, which is not being taken seriously enough. Because you start in this book with your phone call with Rose McGowan, who was one of the first people who really came out against Weinstein. And she was like, the very first her response is, your paper has a problem with sexism. I've talked about this before. Why on earth should I take this phone call seriously? And why should I even talk to you in the first place? So that hurdle of being taken seriously, being not just being taken seriously, but being trusted um, is the very first hurdle that any student has to get over. And, you know, once you get to be a grown-up journalist and you've got some titles and some awards behind your name, sometimes you can get over that bar in the first place, but that doesn't often happen for, with, for a student journalist. So I love that that's where you started. And I love that establishing trust was the first place to start. Yeah. And I think what you're saying also goes to the shyness that many students have 
you know, the most amazing thing about being a journalist is that it's a license to ask anybody anything. Yeah. And at the timing, you know, it's, it's, you know, here I was, I was like, you know, this like 40 something, you know, mom living in Brooklyn, taking the subway, whatever. But by virtue of my job, I have the license to say to Harvey Weinstein, have you crossed lines with women over these years? Please explain yourself. Um, And it also enables you to call somebody like Rose McGowan and 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 try to convince her to talk. And so, yeah, the book, the, the opening of the book is dramatic because she didn't want to talk to me. And I wanted to give student journalists a sense of how you can get someone to yes, because there are lots of things I could have done in that moment that I don't think would have worked. I could have gotten into like a big argument with her about the New York Times and whether the Times the sexist wasn't really looking to have that argument. Um, I could have like been a used car salesman and like promised her easy results. Oh, you know, the story's going to change everything. That doesn't sound very credible. I could have begged, you know, please, please, please talk to me. I don't think that's a good approach. I think it kind of makes you a supplicant and takes away your authority um, in the interaction. And um, so I decided, you know, that I I rewrote and rewrote that note in my mind, you know, many times. And I decided that I wanted to sound confident and firm and secure and in control. And I want students to have the feeling that they can do that too, because, you know, whether you're like a high school newspaper journalist or college journalist or journalist starting out, it can be really mortifying to pick up the phone, even in a less sensitive situation. I mean, I definitely remember having feelings of like, you know, embarrassment, like, like back when there were landlines, you know, staring at the landline phone and being like, to call this person and like talking to strangers. It's weird. And I feel well, and that's becoming more and more of a hurdle. I mean, at least we were exactly the phone and now calling someone feels like this big, it's an event to call someone. In fact, um, when I was teaching middle school, we sort of would coach kids through phone calls about, you know, calling to ask for things. And that was something we absolutely had to do because it wasn't something they were doing on their own very often. Well, and also remember, as you see in this book, we show up at people's homes and yeah. we show up at people's homes unannounced. And that's truth. That's true. That was true both in the case of victims and that was very sensitive. And sometimes it's in the case of people who have, you know, have knowledge about something that's happened that they haven't shared. And sometimes we show up at the bad guy's house too. And so um, I want... I want students to feel confidence that they do have a right to ask these questions, but I also want them to feel that there's a craft that supports them. They're not just like showing up with no idea what they're doing. There, there's a, there, there's, there are these kind of long, hard-won journalism traditions that they're vesting themselves in so that when they do it, they feel that they're following the right process. Well, and, that's, and, that's not, and that they're not overstepping inappropriate boundaries. Right. And I think that's one of the most important parts of the book is at the end of your book, you give two invaluable, like frameable, invaluable uh, resources. One is essentially how the basically it's it's a playbook for how to get to the truth. And, you know, from 
uncover abuses, follow the facts, be specific and precise, prepare for interviews, which I did not do with Marnie Frank. I would have done so much better with Marnie Frank if I had been prepared. Uh, Be upfront with your sources, establish the ground rules. You even talk about, you know, recording and all of the sort of journalism 101 stuff that I think I don't remember getting explicitly in when I was doing my work Mm -hmm. at my school paper. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of catch up that I had to do as I grew into journalism that I think will be incredibly invaluable. And then after that, there's, um, I think my favorite part of the book, I have to say, we talk on this podcast all the time about dissection. We talk about dissecting other people's books. If you're writing a book, you know, a nonfiction book or a fiction book, and you want to figure out how the plot should work or the voices should work or whatever, to have other books that you take apart and look at how they work. And you offer that. You take the article, the, the article that ran about Weinstein in the New York Times, and you break it down into its component parts so that you can say, look, you have here's how you do a really strong lead. Um, and what was your inspiration sort of whose idea was that to sort of put that really practical information in the book? Because I think that's what makes the book for student journalists. Well, thank you. It was the whole teams. Um, uh, we worked with a great editor, Jill Santapolo. We worked with a wonderful collaborator, Ruby Shamir, who did some of the heavy lifting in terms of she's much more experienced with young audiences than we are. And she did some of the heavy lifting. Um, I think she had a great sense for what, you know, student journalists would or wouldn't know. And I think part of the reason we wanted to do that goes to the first thing you said, Jessica, which is that journalism can be really confusing when you're in high school or college, because the rules are not The rules are clear to me working at the Mm -hmm. New York Times, but you don't necessarily have figures in your life at that age who are going to, you know, explain these, like, uh, even things I take for granted every day, like when you're writing about sexual misconduct, unless somebody's been convicted in court or unless they've confessed to something, you call it an allegation. It's Mm -hmm. an accusation. You don't state it as fact. That's a basic convention of the way we do things. You're not going to know that, you know, if you're 15 years old. So we wanted to, and by the way, I think the fact that it can be so hard to understand on that level makes student journalism a lot harder. And it means that we lose a lot of student journalists. I mean, you and I know people who were like editor-in-chief of their high school paper and editor-in-chief of their college paper, and they got completely burned out because they Mm -hmm. were doing what were essentially full-time jobs (laughs) for no pay, like relatively little adult guidance, like battling their own school administrators, you know, as they tried to publish these stories. Um, And... I think, I mean, if I'm being really honest, I think student journalism like turns a lot of people off in addition to turning a lot of people on. And so we wanted to see to student journalists, okay, like they're, they're actually, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of gray area here, but there actually generally is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And we're going to pass on some of our hard won knowledge and give you a sense that you are part of a larger set of journalism parameters and traditions that you can use as, you know, a guide rope as you go about this. I think that those lines are getting, those rules are very blurry for kids now that we have so many podcasts. And in fact, I was listening to a podcast just the other day done by someone who is a journalist, who is a journalist at a news organization. And this journalist was 
reporting rumors, was reporting all kinds of stuff that did not have any, there was no backup for the the uh, stuff that they were talking about as evidence, as, you know, as facts. And I was thinking for a student journalist, this would be incredibly confusing. How do you know where the line is between, you know, uh, something that is hearsay over here and what I can actually put in in words? And I think it comes down to, having this guide in front of you and being able to say, oh no, okay, I have to make sure that I have, you know, two people to back up this source or this statement in order to understand that this is something that can actually be put in print. I think those lines have gotten very blurry as it as the media has become more accessible to podcasters and bloggers and people who are just sort of reporting from their, you know, from their basement. Um, not to say that that's at all bad. I think, I think, you know, the proliferation of podcasts and stories being told is fantastic. I just think that the, the rules have gotten blurry for some people. Well, we especially see it in school settings with stuff erupting on social media instead of the school paper. Right, right. You know, there are such urgent concerns about Me Too issues, about racism. And so where this is coming out in a lot of schools is on social media and even on, you know, anonymous Instagram accounts that, okay, so like if we go to the role of what the media should be in society and what especially a newspaper should be in society, it's to inform, sure, but it's also a release valve, right? It's where when something troubling has happened, something very disturbing, something very upsetting, a new, a well-run newspaper should be an appropriate release valve that lets that information out, right? And to some people, the story can feel like an explosion, but it's really a very controlled explosion, you know, that's releasing the pressure that's being built up. And it's the newspaper saying, we're going to talk about this in a healthy way. We're going to talk about this in a factual way. The parties are going to be given a chance to weigh in. Whoever's being accused of anything is going to have a chance to respond. We're going to check stuff out before we put it in the paper. And this is, you know, um, in a democracy, a, a newspaper is, is, it becomes a civilized place to talk about the really, really, really hard stuff. So what you have now is a lot of kids posting this stuff on social media. And I understand why, I mean, it feels so urgent to them. They want people to know these are the issues they care about. And especially in terms of, we've seen a lot of this with racist uh, mm-hmm. incidents schools. And I mean, these are buried secrets, right? These are, these are long suppressed truths that kids in some cases have been sitting on for years. So having a place to put that stuff is very important. The problem is when you put it on social media, it, first of all, if it's all anonymous, you know, it's hard to know, mm-hmm. like, you know, exactly who to trust. It can feel like a game of telephone um, part, you know, the parties who are accused don't have a chance to, respond and in some cases apologize, you know. Well, and what gets remembered is the accusation in the first place. I mean, we all know uh, retractions only, (laughs) only help so much. Right. And there's no, you know, there's, there's, there's very little space in social media to, you Mm -hmm. know, go to five other people and say like, well, do you remember this incident? You know, what are, what, like, what are your recollections um, of what happened? And then for the school, it becomes a crisis because, oh my God, you know, like all this embarrassing stuff is coming out on social media and people are horrified and it's very important information, but, you know, like 
do you have what you want to be doing with the with with really hard things is to the greatest extent possible you want to have the facts clear so you can talk about the ideas right yeah absolutely for a school, for a school that's has it's had racist incidents in its past the more constructive discussion is okay we've verified that these things have happened here's the evidence mm-hmm. that these things have happened so now let's talk about it let's talk about why this happened let's talk about the meaning let's talk about where we go from here you know what what you a less constructive conversation is like a lot of finger pointing and denial and factual mess where you know the the group can't like there's so little agreement about what actually happened that you can't have that more important discussion, which is what are we going to do about it? Right. How much do you think that our, uh, the, the shortening attention span and not just the shortening attention span, but the intolerance for waiting until I think we're used to getting our news so quickly. And so like, oh, I'm going to get, um, I'm going to get that out online right immediately. One of the reasons I think this book is so important is that it shows just how long you worked on this before and just how careful you were and just how you had to nail everything down before you could actually release the story. Um, How much do you think that the impatience for immediacy really messes with our ability to be as thorough as we need to be to get the story right? I don't think that's the problem because... Everybody feels the urgency. I mean, if you feel that something terrible has happened at your school, I understand. Like, I mean, like in the news business, urgency and being like, we have to confront <laughs> right. this, that's a, good, that's a good thing. But I think that what has eroded in the general culture and what and what always existed to an uneven degree in schools is the in, is the capacity to explore and vet these stories carefully. Like as I'll tell you, one of the most interesting things we've seen happen is we've gotten this peek into the world of student journalism through chasing the truth is that what you see is that students are often operating in communities where local journalism has degraded. Mm -hmm. So that's happening on the one hand. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, students are confronting the weight of the world, so many serious issues, like the days when student newspapers were about like the basketball scores from the game three days ago, barely exists, right? right. I mean, there are right. some like sports stories or, you know, debate team, whatever. But when you look at student newspapers now, these kids, these kids are talking about all the big things. They're talking right. about climate. You're definitely talking about COVID. I mean, that, you know, the pandemic was huge. They're talking about racism. They're talking about Me Too incidents at their own schools. And so you have this, and and, and then they're talking about the, the really bad things happening in their overall communities. So you sometimes, what that equation adds up to is that you sometimes get like 15 and 16 year olds, or in the case of college, you know, 20 year olds, who are serving as the primary journalists for their communities at a very young age. Like if you look at Ann Arbor, Michigan, 
the University of Michigan paper, which has always been one of the great student papers in this country, they have become the news organ for the community of Ann Arbor. And, you know, that's a really admirable thing. It's also a heavy responsibility to put on a 21-year-old, really heavy. Absolutely. I mean, and when, when do these kids, like, I, you know, when do these kids get to be kids? Yeah. And I was thinking about that also in terms of students having to confront issues that maybe administrators at the school would prefer they not confront, which is why I love, I mean, one of the most dramatic parts of your story is the phone call right before publication where, you know, talk about bullies with people just yelling at you and berating you and calling you horrible things, um, being able to stand up to a bully like that, being able to stand up to someone who's used to having enough power to say, no, you can't do that um, is really important because for kids, you know, the not being liked, not being able to, um, to, you know, looking at an adult, we're used to seeing school administrators as authority figures and school administrators are a far cry from Weinstein, you know, who was used to having his way. So I think that scene is one of the most important scenes there is how to stand up to people who do not want you to tell the truth. Um, That at its core is the, the, the reason I think that every school needs to have a copy of this book. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's two things. Like, I think first of all, there's the eternal life question of how you stand up to a bully. And I feel like in some ways I was like, how old was I? I must've been 43 when we published the Weinstein story. I think I finally felt at 43 years old through Harvey Weinstein <laughs> that I understood the answer, you know, cause I, even like when you're like, even, you know, as a mom, when, like when your kid would be like, somebody bullied me in school, it's not always clear what the answer is. Like, right. like it's, not like as adults, we have the perfect tools for dealing with these things. And I think what I finally realized was like, okay, so this is how you stand up to a bully. You do it together. You do it together. You do not do it alone. You do it with support. And you'll, you know, as if people read, she said, or chasing the truth, and you'll get to these like very dramatic you know, behind the scenes moments, including our final confrontations and showdowns, you know, with, with Weinstein, including him like bursting unexpectedly into the New York times, Megan dealt with him. Um, you know, we were like trying to protect the victims from potential retaliation, um, as he did that. And the thing that you get is that it's the teamwork, it's the standing, it's, it's, you know, it's standing together as a team that enables you to confront somebody like that. You know, our, our boss is coming in at the key moments to support us. So I think that's the first thing. But I think you're right that confronting a school administrator is totally different, completely different from confronting Harvey Weinstein because a, a most school administrators are not bad people. <laughs> they're, they're generally, <laughs> right. you know, they're, they generally see themselves as advocates for students. Right. Um, and and that's a more complicated relationship because these are the people giving you your grades and mm-hmm. handling plan and maybe writing a college recommendation letter. And I, and one of the things that we really try to convey to student journalists is that you've got to have like kind of the right kind of restraint and sensitivity um, in doing that. And there's a lot of controversy in student journalism over how much control, you know, mm-hmm should have over what their papers publish and what, you know, there's a, there's a big question about whether student journalism can ever be fully independent. And so as they work out those questions, you know, it's, 
I think it's important to, um, it's important for them not to be afraid, you know, and to be fearless when fearlessness is required, when it comes to the question of, you know, publishing damage, damaging information about a school. But I think it's also important to really listen and listen to the administrator's concerns and um, treat them as real people and deal with them with, you know, with respect and give, you know, give them um, a chance to weigh in because they're, they're, their perspective and, you know, is, is often vital and they're in very difficult positions when student journalists, you know, come at them with, with something really powerful. Yeah. What is it that you hope for, for student journalists in putting this out there? I'm really, I definitely get the feeling that you have a lot of faith in student journalists and and kids to be able, that's the other thing that's so fantastic about this book is you never talk down to your reader. You are Mm -hmm. so, um, you have so much faith in your reader and many of these readers are going to be teenagers. And as a lover of teenagers and a teacher of teenagers, I'm so grateful for that because so many YA versions or young people's versions of, of books just talk down to them and you refuse to do that in this book. And, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. But what is your hope for student, for student journalism? We've detected so much interest in journalism from young people. I want them to have a relationship with journalism their entire lives. I, my first choice would be for them to become journalists because I sort of <laughs> believe everybody I'm a journalist. And I want them to feel really invited into this field. You know, Megan and I wrote this book to form a bridge that they can walk over if they want to, where, you know, where we say you're welcome in this profession, you're wanted in this profession. There are people like us who are going to teach you the craft, even if you don't know any journalists, even if you, you know, turn on the TV or, you know, read a newspaper and you don't see any names like yours, you know, represented or anybody who appears to be from your background, like you, like you're welcome. Like investigative journalism is not only white guys in khakis, like, like, Hey, you, you're invited to the party. So that's the first thing I want. If they don't want to be a journalist, there are two other things they can be. They can be a source. They can be a source. You know, I hope that they will consider sharing vital information with a journalist at some point, whether it's giving an interview on the street or, you know, perhaps at some point, you know, really needing to be brave and, and share important information. Um, you know, we, I think kids are brought up in this culture where being a tattletale is bad, you know, and being a complainer is bad. And we really believe that the people who tell us the truth about difficult issues are to be lauded you know, and, and there are a lot of characters. I mean, there there are people you will meet in chasing the truth who range from incredibly famous movie stars to Harvey Weinstein's own accountant who took some sort of risk, you know, to tell us the truth. And I think those people should be applauded. Um, so they can be sources, um, or, you know, they can be readers, they can be consumers of journalism, subscribers, you know, hopefully to a high quality publication. And, that's part of the relationship too. You know, that's, that's part of the bargain. And if all we've done, you know, through chasing the truth is recruited you into a lifetime of reading journalism, then I, I think we'd count that as a victory. That was actually, I think that was going to be my final point was, I think that this book is my hope is that even if you don't go to, go into journalism through reading this book, through learning about what, 
good sourcing means and and chasing the truth in a in an ethical fashion means it makes you a better consumer of the media and i i hope that for every kid and and teaching kids how to think critically about their sources is one of the most important things we do and understanding what you do in order to be a reliable source of information for the american public i think is um is an an, an education that every kid kid needs so i'm incredibly grateful to you for pulling the curtain back on what that looks like and and making it less of a a mythical um i don't know for to me there was you know i see journalists in movies and i you know growing up i saw journalists in movies and all the president's men was one of my favorite movies growing up and it just was never something that i thought i could do it looked too big and too mythical and so it's incredibly mm-hmm. important for us to have role models that give us the actual rules like here's what you do you know before you can fly this high to the sun this close to the sun you have to have these actual rules that will save you if you uh if those wax wings fail and you're going to plummet towards the ground these are the rules that are going to save you and uh i think every student journalism need, journalist needs those so thank you so so much for making it well thank you Jess you have been a very generous friend with the release of this book and helped us reach teacher world. Um, And look, I mean, the most magical thing about publishing any book and particularly this one is that, you know, you never know whose hands it will end up in, you know, how it, how it can interact with whatever. I mean, like 20 years from now, there's going to be some kid that's going to be like, I read this book and now, you know, they're winning the Pulitzer because they're, you know, they've chased their own story down. That's so exciting to me. So yeah, and if that happens, if that kid is listening right now, and if that happens, come find Megan and I. <laughs> you have the book because we we really, we really want to know. Yeah, it's a little bit like being a teacher. You can't always know in the moment what those incredibly important moments are for a kid, and then you know to have someone come and talk to you years later. It's it's the most amazing thing on the entire planet, and I hope that every kid who wants to learn about journalism gets this book in their hands. And in conjunction with this podcast, I'm going to be doing a giveaway of some books. So um, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go to the hashtag AmWriting Facebook group, and I will be announcing inf- and on Twitter at, at Jess Lakey, and I will be announcing information about a giveaway um, of some copies of Chasing the Truth by Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, because I hope everybody gets it. I hope everybody gets this book. Every kid needs to know not just in not just the the thing that i love so much about this is it's not just about breaking the big stories sometimes it's just about um getting people to find you as a reliable source and to make get your point across in a way that's clear and that's evidence that has evidence behind it and uh so that you can be trusted when you tell stories and i love that well thank you so so much jess all right, I'm going to let you get back to your day of chasing the truth. And um, and thank you again so, so much for your time. Um, if course. people want to find your work, of course, they can go to the New York Times and look for Jody Cantor, and that's Cantor with a K. And I encourage you to go find her work about everything from Amazon to Starbucks to all kinds of amazing stories. I mean, that's the, the cool thing is that if you become a journalist, um, you can not only break stories, but you can break stories that change the way companies do business, the way people act around each other, the way people view each other. And and that's the real, that's the real reward. And we're all grateful to you for breaking some of those stories. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. 
Very cool. Until next week, everyone, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perilla. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, three Author Accelerator certified book coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir will provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September with one-on-one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented in publishing. Learn more at MainlyMemoir.com, and as you've probably guessed, Mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Maine the State, MainlyMemoir.com.